Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. But today we're going to um, uh, move into our series called The Parables of Jesus. Hallelujah. And we're going to be on this for a little while. Who knows how long you'll hear some, some, some guests from amongst us coming to expound on the parables as well. And um, I would like us to get into some deeper meanings and really what, what was the intention of the parables? Why did Jesus speak in parables? Um, but it's obvious that parables were if you could say that Jesus had a communication strategy, I don't know. I think he was just being Jesus, being who he is. But he definitely wielded a powerful way of communication when he was on earth. And uh, many would listen to him and open their ears. But as many, or if not more, rejected the things that Jesus had to say. Do you believe that? And so, you know, in, in these times, have you ever thought about the way we wield our communication abilities? Have you ever contemplated that? Have you ever thought more deeply about the level that we communicate on to the people around us? Because it's words, not only words spoken, but it's words that are listened to that determine your destiny. Because you're going to have words coming across your path every day. Thousands of words. Amen. So whether given or received or both, words are so important. And Jesus knew this. Because if you look through God's words so many times, he's talking about, what's he talking about? This thing here in our mouth, the tongue, the power of the tongue. And so he was so aware of the power of words. And of course, we build our lives on faith which comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so words are so important, amen. And Jesus, I think this is going to maybe, some of the things that I say this morning in this little message are going to cause you to stop and think, well, I never thought of that before. Or how could Jesus actually do that? You know, how many times does God do things that we think aren't godly? But he has a bigger plan. And sometimes we think, oh, that's not... And people in the world will say, well, how could your good God do this? It's because he's God and it's because he's just and he's fair and he's equitable and he's true. And, and he has to fulfill his word. He has to stay true to this. He can't deviate from his own word. And so when Jesus was speaking, he either gave entry to the hearer or he denied entry. Either people's ears were opened and they walked into something completely new or their ears were closed and the door was kept shut. Because we know that God, you know, come, come unto me all of ye who are weary and he burdened and, and heavily laden. And he does. That invitation is there to, for all people. But there are there are things, schemes afoot that would prevent people from moving into that place where, of rest. Amen. And so whatever Jesus spoke, he spoke in line with his father. It was always his father's will. 
Amen. Because he is the way, the, the truth, and the life. Amen. So, and the other thing I, I, I love it when, I, when you start to read about, uh, you know, you read through the Gospels, you read those red letters, you read the parables. Jesus used his words sparingly. He wasn't wasteful with what he said. He certainly had a way of communicating that got right to the heart of, of the, the people that were in front of him. Would you agree with that? And so he was, uh, there's probably a preacher joke in there somewhere <laughs> about using words sparingly, but he was, he was not ostentatious. He was not um, showy or theatrical. He was just Jesus and he had a job to do and he was executing that with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit and by the will of his Father. Amen. So, and he just lived his life out in front of men as the living word because you, we know what Jesus is. Jesus is the word. He spoke the word at the beginning. He is the word that caused everything to come into being. And so, um, it just, I'm in awe of Jesus and the way he communicated with people. And you know, sometimes now, people will spend hours crafting their words and sentences and, you know, maybe I've got to get something through to people. If they don't think uh, I, I'm, it's profound enough or I sound wise enough, maybe they won't listen to me. And a lot of the time, how often do we spend time maybe you know, crafting what we'll say, thinking about what we're going to say, instead of just being who you are and letting the Holy Spirit speak through your life. You know, we can waste, uh, we can waste so much time, um, you know, just going over and over things in our head. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is just be who I've designed you to be. And when you open your mouth, trust me to fill your mouth with words. And speak those words. Now, I'm not saying be unprepared. I'm not saying be ignorant. I'm not saying be uneducated. Be a student of the word, but let the Holy Spirit direct everything in your life. Amen. If you know the Pharisees and the scribes, they went to great lengths to be great orators. Everything was very theatrical and showy, I imagine, um, according to the word anyway. And it was all very deliberate. But we know the relationship that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the scribes. He didn't have a lot of time for them. And they loved to be in that place of honor, that place of prominence. In the, in, they were always in the most prominent places. And that was the opposite of Christ's nature. You know, how often do we read in God's word that Jesus withdrew? He, 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 he disappeared into the background. He went to be with his father Whereas all of these men were just striving with one another for a new doctrine or this or that, or, and, and, and Jesus was just being Jesus. Doing what he preached, being what he preached, amen? And so Jesus, he also knew that there were generational issues. So he's communicating to these people, and what did he actually call them at one time? He called them a wicked and perverse generation, didn't he? Yeah. And if we can draw any parallel from that in our time, we could ask ourselves the question, well, how would Jesus reach our present generation? Yeah. 
how would Jesus, if Jesus were here today, and he is, we know he's here, by his spirit he's here, he lives in us, but how would Jesus reach our generation? How would he do? Would he just come with some, with some new parables that would tick all the boxes according to the, the current worldview or the culture that we're in? You know, think about that. Or would he do something totally opposite to the way that we would think? Would he be totally up on every media platform? Would he have um, sensational and spectacular content on Instagram and Facebook and have millions of followers and millions of likes? And, you know, and I think, you know, Jesus, truthfully, he avoided spectacle. He avoided creating sensationalism. He let his life do the talking. He let, wherever he went, he just let the Holy Spirit work through him. And signs, wonders, and miracles began to take place. Amen. So Jesus' communication strategy, I've been thinking on this, is, goes something like this. It's called, be yourself. Be who you're called to be. Be who God has called you to be. Now, uh, that might give some people a license to be whatever they think that they should be. I'm saying be what God has called you to be. And there's a big difference. Okay, otherwise you can end up in some way out place. So be who you're called to be. And so he wanted to keep a low profile. Even sometimes after miracle signs and wonders, he said to people, please be quiet about this. Don't just, just keep this to yourself. Go to the priest, tell him what has happened to you and continue in your life following my ways. Know the law, all right? Because Jesus knew the law. Know, know the Torah, know, the, know, know what is right, know what is God's will and go and do that, amen? But the Pharisees would always come and say, show us a sign, and I thought, why, why were they always tempting him? Why were they always trying to get a, you know, let's, let's see if Jesus can put on some kind of a show here right now. And so they come to him and they say, show us a sign. But there was something sinister behind this. And it was essentially a temptation similar to the one that uh, Jesus faced in the wilderness when Satan came to him. Because... Do you think that the devil wanted Jesus to just tell simple parables? Do you, do you think that, Jesus, that, that the devil wanted these simple truths to be just told and people just, oh, light bulb moment or whatever? Or do you think that he wanted Jesus to exalt himself? Look how great this man is with all of these signs and wonders. I wonder how I can twist this around to bring Jesus into disrepute. I wonder what I can do in the wilderness. Cast yourself down off of this mountain. The angels will bear you up. Turn these stones into bread and you can eat. And what did Jesus say? No. No, I'm here to do the will of my Father. And so get thee behind me, Satan. It's a term that we, we should have in our vocabulary. I, I need it every day. Get, get behind me. And so these people are trying to get this rise out of Jesus. Amen. 
And the devil will come to you in the same way and say, who, who are you and what do you think you're doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? And we can say, well, we are bringing the gospel. The way that God called us to do it. Amen. And so we'll discover just now as we go into this that Jesus didn't communicate in a way that made everything easy. You know, he didn't guarantee the people, you're going to get this. You'll understand everything that I'm going to say because we know from God's word that he had to explain further, especially with the parables. Even his own closest, the, the, the 12, they, they needed to know more. We, we don't understand what you said. Please explain this to us. Amen. And so the sayings, the stories, the proverb, proverbial sayings that Jesus used were actually, were actually hard for many people to receive. Now, if you're sitting in this place this morning, you can hear me, can't you? You can hear my voice. You can leave here, and if I met you in the car park and I said, Susie, did you enjoy this, the, the message this morning? Of course, I would never put you in the spot like that. <laughs> You'd, you'd say, oh, yeah, Pastor David, it was great. What was it about again? <laughs> you see, you can hear my voice. You can hear what I'm saying. But you might not be listening to anything that I'm saying. And it was pretty much like that back then. So it wasn't always like a guarantee you're going to get this because I'm keeping it simple. Amen. So I'm going to explore some of the background that God's word explains to us in connection with these well-known stories, and I think you're going to be surprised at their intended purpose. And um, I think that I was going to go into a little segue here, but I'm going to kind of cut it out. But to summarize it, when I was a boy, I used to read a lot. I was, I was just, uh, uh, I used to read as many Hardy Boys books and Famous Five books, and Enid, I just read as much as I could. And they were just words or print on paper, and they'd let my imagination run. And so when I moved from books onto comics, I, find, I found that I didn't have to use my imagination so much because I started to see the visual aspect of things. So the here now is words, and there's, there's pictures too. It's handy for a simple guy to have words and pictures. And, you know, of course, we'd, we'd, we'd all love it when we got a parcel from Scotland would arrive in South Africa with a dandy and a beano and a, a Mars bar. It was the highlight of, you know, of, of our, like, whole school term when we got a parcel from Scotland. So, and you'd get a comic or something. But these were, this combination of words and pictures, I think... For me personally, you might be different. It kind of stifled my imagination a little bit, you know? And so, you know, and if you're, I was a daydreamer when I was a boy. I used to daydream all the time. And so nowadays, I think there's too much clutter in our lives to get much daydreaming in. There's always something we can pick up that robs us of the opportunity to be creative. Now, it might stimulate creativity, but for many of us, it probably steals our creativity. Would you agree with that? And so, you know, God's, give us, God's given each one of us an incredible ability to imagine things, to interpret things, to dream. 
to be creative and to make sense of stories and things that are told. And it becomes a part of the way that we interrelate and communicate with others. And, you know, are we able to arrest someone's attention by our words? Are we? You know, some of us don't feel that we're that confident. It's like, I, I, these, this person's not going to give me the time of day. You know, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever, let alone think, you know what, I'm going to speak to this person and I'm going to spark a des a, some sort of a desire in them or a new way of thinking and it's going to change their life. And we've got to believe that that's possible. We have to believe that it's possible. So we need the utmost guidance to connect with people. Sometimes we don't get more than one chance to connect. Attention spans are so short these days. Amen. And so we want to connect in a meaningful way. And then sometimes there's the image problem too. And it's like, how many times have you done this? Someone approaches you to, the first thing you've done in a split second is scan them to see who they are, what they're wearing, you know, and you kind of, you have some sort of a, to try and get some sort of an idea of what is coming. And sometimes we might think, too, you're too old, too young, you know, you've, you, you don't have anything that, that I need right now. I've, I was always told, it stuck with me for, for a long time, you're never too young to teach and you're never too old to learn. So, you know, you don't when someone comes to communicate with you, you know, don't just disqualify them based on how they look. And I heard a great story in a podcast I was listening to, you know, the, the organization Barna. These are an organization that collect the, like, it's like the health of the Christian church globally. And they had this big convention and these guys went there um, to this convention and there was lots of different speakers and so they, were, they made it sound like, oh, we can go and listen to this guy and this guy. And a lot of them were well-known young guys. You know, maybe they were quite hip. And, you know, you know you'll see I don't wear my skinny jeans to church or my ripped jeans or anything. But, you know, there are all these really young, great communicators. And then there was this old guy called Dallas Willard. And he's like, he looks like, you know, he looks like your old scoutmaster or something. You know what I mean? He's, you know, just kind of very plain. And they said, you know what? We're going to go and uh, go into kind of look in the rooms and then we'll decide where we're going to go for this breakout session. So they look in the rooms and they see a few people and a few people and, a, and a, some people. They go into this room with Dallas Willard and there's no room. The room is packed out. Because all, everyone wants to hear what this man has to say. And he was really revered for his wisdom and, and, and that type of thing. So Dallas Willard is his name. I've listened to him a few times. And I can just imagine why people would have given up all of the trendy stuff. They wanted to go and hear someone that had been doing this a long time. And I'm not saying that doing things for a short time is there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we have to understand that it doesn't matter what the, mess the messenger looks like. There's a powerful message there. And I think a lot of people might have looked at Jesus and says, yeah, well, you're the guy from Nazareth, right? You're the carpenter's son. You know what? I don't think you've got really that much to say. 
There's nothing, we're not going to get much from you. And already they've cut themselves off from the most powerful, the most awesome man that ever walked on the face of the earth. Amen. So I always thought parables were just simple stories. And because people were largely illiterate and uneducated, because it was only the elite that had the word, and, the, and, the, and so many people couldn't, couldn't, um, couldn't comprehend. And so I thought, well, that's why Jesus does things like this within parables, so that they'd be able to understand them. Um, but that's what I thought, just cozy stories to introduce people to the kingdom of God. But that's actually not the case at all. And this was interesting to me. So do you all know what a parable is? So we know the parable of the, the vine dressers, the wheat and the tares, um, you know, the, pro, the prodigal son and all of these things. Well, there's across the three gospels in Matthew, Mark and Luke, there's probably 40 plus parables. And um, these parables are repeated in, in the synoptic gospels. They run parallel. So you'll find them in Matthew, Mark and, 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 and Luke. But the word parable in Greek is parabole, P-R-A-B-O-L-E, which means to place one th something alongside another thing, to bring two things into the same stream, if you like. Now, parables were short stories that were compared to something to teach and to illustrate a spiritual truth. Amen? So, in a cultural context, a lot of them were about what? Farming, fishing, the merchant, trading, all of these things like that. So they're stories of ordinary life to illustrate a spiritual truth. Would you agree? That's what parables, that's what parables are. And um, that's what we're getting into over the next few weeks. Parables are not fables. They're not, they weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't just, uh, you know what, this is just a, 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 a fictional story. They weren't fables. They were not metaphors. They were not similes. They were per particularly designed to convey more than just a moral story. It's like Aesop's fables. Who read Aesop's fables? You know, at the end you always got, and the moral of the story is. Parables went much deeper than that. Parables were meant to open a door into the kingdom for people to walk through, okay? So parables led people somewhere, and they were the, the, they were the most common way that Jesus taught things, especially when, when he was speaking to large crowds. Amen. Do you have your Bibles with you this morning? Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. And it says there, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. Without a parable, he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the earth. Wow. So, 
You might think, well, parables nowadays is like a sermon illustration, right? Something like that. But I think that there's a misunderstanding of what parables were actually all about. So I want to make this statement this morning, and if we don't finish this message today, we'll go on to next week. But this is the most important statement I'm going to make this morning. The reason why Jesus taught in parables was not to explain spiritual truths to the crowds, to the people, but to keep spiritual truths from the crowds. And that actually fulfills prophecy in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, from verse 8, it says, I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. Wow. And in Matthew 13, from verse 13, or from verse 10, Matthew 13, verse 10, his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And we might think, well, the disciples must have been concerned that the people weren't getting, weren't under, you know, standing it. It's like, Jesus, why are you using parables? Because it looks like it's actually going over their heads. They're not understanding. And we are concerned about that. Because we want to make sure that what, you know, you're not wasting your time here, kind of thing. And he replied to them, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge, but for those who are not listening... Even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes can't see and their ears can't hear and their hearts can't understand and they cannot turn to me to let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and listen to this man, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. In other words, the reason why Jesus taught in parables was not to explain spiritual truths to the crowd, but to keep spiritual truths from the crowds. And that rocked me, to be honest. I never really comprehended that. So the veiling of spiritual truths from the unbelieving crowds is actually a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You know, what does the word say? It says that the, the, the word of God, is the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. There are people that are, have rejected Jesus. 
They've rejected the word. In their hearts, it's already a, a done deal. And as Christians, even if he's talking about prophets and righteous men, here's what I would like to say this morning. That the gospel is more than just the good news that you can be saved. The gospel is the everything that Jesus is and was. It's his life, the way he lived his life. It was, it was every moral, every lifestyle, every trait, every character. That is what, that is what the gospel is. So the, the gospel is not just one spiritual truth that you can be saved and go to heaven. How many times in the church do we hold on to one spiritual truth, but we close our ears off to the rest? So spiritual truth is a wide, it's a huge thing. And when we dispense with spiritual truth to cling on to one thing that even in itself may be an error, we essentially close our ears and our eyes and we cannot see. We, we, we've missed the truth. And so we need, who, who reveals the truth to us? The Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us. And I'm, I'm going to go further this morning and I think back to Pharaoh and how God hardened his heart. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God. The Lord hardened his heart so that he would resist and plagues came upon his land. Isn't that right? So his heart, his heart was hardened. Is it possible for God to harden the heart of a person? Think about what's happening in the Ukraine right now. Is it possible? Is it okay for me to pray against Vladimir Putin? Yes, it is. It is okay for you to pray that he would relent and that a north wind would blow against his regime and those soldiers and anyone who is there with malice to destroy the lives of people. It is you can pray against that. Dave, you go to the Psalms, please, and read how David prayed against the enemies, his enemies. He always had Jesus' heart, and we always pray that someone would be delivered from evil and that their soul would be saved. But I want you to understand there's deeper meaning to, to Jesus' words, and that's what we're investigating over the coming weeks so this veiling of spiritual truth. A few years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, um, I, I'd, I'd done a message. I, we were not pastoring, and it was called a famine of hearing. That in the latter days, there will be a famine of hearing. That people, the Bible says that people will go places where their ears will be tickin, tickled. Uh, you know what? I get, I get the word here. I get what I need here. But there's coming a time when people are closing their, they're going to close their ears off. They're already closing their ears off. And we need to, as the body of Christ, we need to have our spiritual ears and eyes completely open. Amen? So he's telling the, 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 the disciples here in Mark 4, it's been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are out thing, outside, all things come in parables. Amen? So I, 
we, let's bring it to a close. Why, why, would, why would Jesus purposefully veil truth from unbelievers? Why would he do that? Well, the condition of the people that he was, the multitude at the time, was a natural result of their own rejection of Christ's message. So there was a widespread rejection of Christ's message. The other thing was that God is a God of justice and he's bound to his word. So when we harden our hearts or we deliberately live in sin, God is bound to justice on account of our lifestyle. And you, 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 you're then under God's mercy. God, be, I, I want to escape from this lifestyle. I want to escape from this way of life. And, he, and, and when, he, when he sees your, that heart turned towards him, he will open that door. The, you, the scales will fall from your eyes and you will be able to enter in. But the condition of the people at that time was not like that. And if you actually go to 2 Thessalonians 2, it talks there about a man of sin or the son of perdition. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He'll use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause, listen to this, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe the lie, then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Church, it's his word and it's, and it's a wake-up call that there's the son of perdition, that there's very, very soon going to be an, a, a figure in this world that is going to lead multitudes away from worshiping the one true God. And we declare that we will worship Jesus. Amen. We will lift his name high in all the earth. Amen. And so, praise be to God. I could, I've, I've got more, but I, we want to hear from Daniel a little bit as well. And so, when you reject the truth, you always end up in a place of confusion. When you reject the truth of God's word, you'll always end up in a place where you harden your heart. And when you harden your heart, tough times will come. Tough times will come. And the times that are coming, Romans 1.24, God abandons, God abandons people to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire to do. They do vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for one another. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. That's Romans chapter 1 from verse 24. 
And so hold on to God. Do not abandon him. He will not abandon you if you hold on to him. And this is simply God's word that we need to preach and teach. And we let God's word and the Holy Spirit do his work. Of in, So however you meditate on it and interpret it, seek the truth. And I know that there's a huge pressure to do that in a culturally acceptable way. 2022 we live in now, Pastor David, don't you know? This has never changed, and it will never change, and God is not changing. And that is why I have the fear of God that, you know, on the day, the trumpet, that I'm not, you know, I say this reverentially, that by the grace of God, I'm not here, because God by rights can bind me to my sin that I have not repented of, or that I've become desensitized to, and hardened my heart and said, do you know what, God, your grace is sufficient for me, but I never found it necessary to repent. He said, repent and your sins will be forgiven you. Repent and your sins will... One of the hallmarks of the end times church is going to be, I believe, is going to be people repenting. Going to one another and repenting and asking for forgiveness. And the things that have been in the closet for 30 and 40 years are going to come out. And they're going to be forsaken. And they're going to be talked about for the first time. They're going to see the light of day. What was in darkness is going to come into the light. What is done in secret will be exposed. And the church will be purified and cleansed. And then this place, you will not be able to move for the glory of God in this place, spilling out over outside the walls, wherever you go. Amen. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.